welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Great to be with y'all here today. I'm usually over in the Vine space, uh, but it's good to be with y'all here today. Um, we are in the start of our new series called Shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. And we're going to be talking about this series, the different aspects of peace. But before we kind of get into the rest of the series, I think we first need to understand what the source of our peace is. And it starts fundamentally with understanding that any time we talk about peace, that we need to know that God himself is the source of our peace. Our scripture reading today is going to be from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. You may, uh, this will be a familiar passage, but you may be thinking we're reading it at the wrong time of year. But hear the word of the Lord. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What I really want to dive in today is this idea of Christ being the Prince of Peace. That any type of peace that we experience comes from the Prince of Peace. And this is what I want y'all to get out of today, is that peace originates in God. That this idea of shalom, this idea of peace, that all these different aspects of peace that we're going to be talking about the rest of the month fundamentally find their source in God himself. This shalom or this peace that we have is because it is a gift from God to us. And we see here in this passage in Isaiah that he will be called Prince of Peace, that the greatness of his peace will have no end. And the Lord Jesus will reign on the throne of David forever and ever. In John's gospel, Jesus says this in John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus says that it's my peace that I give you. It's my peace that I leave with you. That Paul, the Apostle Paul, will talk about having the peace of Christ within us that transcends our understanding. It means that we have peace no matter what the situation around us is, no matter what is in front of us in the world, that the scriptures teach us that we should have peace because we know that our peace doesn't come from our external circumstances, but it comes from the throne room of God himself. It's not something that we manufacture within us. Peace that we have deep within our souls is a divine blessing from God. 
Peace as a biblical concept is more than just sort of the absence of conflict. It's this sense of wholeness, this sense of completeness, this sense of the way that things ought to be. And when the scriptures speak about entering into eternity, entering into the divine rest, entering into the shalom of God, this sense of wholeness, this sense of restoration, and it comes from God himself. That the Lord Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's this royal language. God is King. <clears throat> you may be asking yourself, is it foolish to talk about peace right now when we're in the middle of this discernment process? Friends, I would challenge and say that this is actually the best time to talk about peace. Because when Scripture speaks about us having peace as believers... It speaks of an inward reality of our souls that transcends any external circumstances we might uh, experience. And the same teaching Jesus is giving to his disciples a few chapters later in the book of John, he says this in John 16, 33. I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. So that in me you may have peace. And right before this, Jesus is saying, uh, there's going to be a time when persecution's going to come and you're going to be scattered. And Jesus says, I'm telling you what's going to happen, all the bad things that are going to happen to you so that you can have peace, which just seems so counterintuitive. But here's why. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. If that's what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, why is God the source of our peace? Because Jesus is King. Because Jesus is King. We're going to be looking at another passage in Isaiah. This is a few passages before uh, the Prince of Peace passage that we read earlier. You may, this is another familiar passage, but I think when we get familiar with Scripture, we miss the awesomeness and the grandeur of passages. So this is Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of the voices of the angels, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That Isaiah has this heavenly vision of the splendor and majesty of God. And these mythical angelic beings, you know, when we look at icons or Christian art, I think that they uh, don't really paint biblical angels all that well. Uh, the angels that we see here in Isaiah 6 is they have six wings. Two of their wings are covering their faces. Two of them are covering their feet. And two of them, they're flying. You ever seen a picture of an angel looking like that? 
Or you go in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel has all these angelic visions, and it's these mythical heavenly beings that just so transcend any understanding of what we have. In fact, I think I have this meme up on uh, the page. Do we have that, Jason? Yes. So it's this man encountering an angel, and the angel says, do not be afraid. And the person's saying, sir, this is the scariest moment of my life. (laughs) Because that's what the angel looks like. That's what these angelic beings look like. And it just so transcends any understanding that we have. And these angels in the vision of the prophet Isaiah are covering their faces in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And they can't help but shout the holiness of God in the temple of the Lord. And they're in this temple. And the picture that Isaiah gives is that the Lord is so enormous, the Lord is so big, that just the hem of his robe fills the entirety of the temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Fills all of the temple. Imagine just a room infinitely bigger than this, and it's just filled with the train of the robe of the Lord. It's this incredible image of the omnipotence of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, that God is exalted. We are not. And the voice of the angels shakes the foundations of the temple as they proclaim the glories of the Lord. That God is the source of our peace. That God is the source of our peace. You know, in the Christian faith, it's all about holding things in tension with one another. The Trinity is God in three persons, but one essence. Jesus is fully God, fully man, That the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet fully realized. And when we experience heresies in the church, often what they do is they come to these divine mysteries and they flatten to be one emphasis over the other. So like, for example, Arianism. They emphasized the humanity of God so much that it denied the divinity. They didn't hold the mystery and tension. And Gnosticism What it did is it emphasized the divinity of Christ, but at the expense of his humanity. Modalism emphasized the oneness of God, but at the expense of the three persons. And in the Christian faith, we hold these mysteries in tension, that we can't fully wrap our head around the nature and being of God. And the reality is with God, he is our king and our friend. That we need to hold this idea in tension as well, that God is both our king and our friend, that we as Christians often forget that the Lord is our king. And I gave a sermon a few months ago in this space actually about the importance of friendship with God, and I firmly believe that we are called to be friends of God, but it's also equally important that we humble ourselves to recognize that the Lord is exalted and seated in the heavenly places and he is our king and we are not. That there is a God and we are not him. You know, when your friend gives you a command, it's really easy to dismiss it if you don't like it. It's a lot harder to dismiss a king, isn't it? That God is both our king and our friend. That when we need peace, that our peace must originate from that heavenly place, from the throne room of God, because there is a God, friends, and we are not him. We get a similar image of Jesus himself in the book of Revelation. 
The book of Revelation, which, by the way, is a book about hope to God's people in the middle of persecution. It's sort of a a spoiler alert, Jesus wins. So in the middle of all your persecution, church, in the middle of Rome executing you, you can have peace because Jesus has overcome the world. Revelation 1, 12 says this. This is John in the heavenly places looking at Jesus. I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and the eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was like a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead, but then... He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and hell. It's this awesome image of Jesus and full of his glory. I love that image that when Jesus speaks, it's like the sound of waves crashing against the ocean, just the awesome majesty of our God, and I think John's response would be exactly what mine would be, to just bow before the Lord and just be terrified. This is not the Jesus that I remember walking with. This is Jesus in full glory and full heavenly splendor. But then the Jesus that John remembers reaches out and touches his shoulder. says, don't be afraid, John. Don't be afraid, it's me. I am the source of life. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. In John's gospel, remember what he says? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. I have told you these things so that you can have peace in me, that this is what Jesus is talking about, that we set our eyes on heavenly places. You know, Karl Marx famously said that religion is the opium of the people. And he says that religion dulls the people to the suffering around them so that they don't rise up and correct the injustice around them. With all due respect to Karl Marx, I think he was a fool. Jesus Christ is not our opium. He is our source of peace. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has conquered the grave, that in the middle of literally everything the world has to throw at us, we can have deep, profound peace because we know that Jesus has conquered all, that Jesus is victorious, that we know how the story ends, and nothing this world can do can take that away from us because we have looked to the heavenly places and we see the risen King, we see the resurrected Savior, we see this image of Jesus in Revelation ruling and reigning on high. God wins, Jesus is victorious. Amen and amen. Friends, there's been so much fear in this discernment process, regardless of which way you may be voting. Friends, I would just like to publicly say, if I have sown fear into your heart, 
I would just like to repent of that because fear is not from God. That consistently as I'm fasting and praying, the Lord just keeps telling me over and over again to pray against this fear that is dwelling within my people. Now friends, the Lord desires us to have peace that transcends any circumstance that we have. And I believe firmly within my soul that the reason we have been riddled with fear is because we have taken our eyes off the heavenly places. We have misplaced where our source of our peace is. It rests with Jesus in heaven. It rests with the Lord and all of his majesty that we have taken our eyes off the glory of the Lord and his power and his majesty and we have set our eyes into the world and our circumstances around us and we have bought into the lie that really we're the ones in control. But this image in Revelation and this image in Isaiah shows us that there is a God, there is a king and we are not him. And that is a hope That is a profound source of peace, that God reigns. That if we want to be a people who have peace, if we want to be a people who rule and reign with Jesus in the heavenly places, we need to get our eyes back onto the throne of God. And hear the good news that is told through us over and over in Scripture that Jesus wins and there is nothing, there is nothing that this world can throw at us that will ever conquer that truth. There is nothing that the world can throw at us that will ever shake that truth. Friends, we do communion today. As we come to Holy Communion, we open it up with the time of repentance. Friends, I believe we need to be a people who repent. I believe we need a people who repent how we've taken our eyes off the throne room of God, how we've tried to control, how we've tried to look for peace in every aspect in our world, rather than looking and finding our peace in the one who has overcome the world. When I hear stories about the great revivals in Christian history, they always start with repentance. They always start with people on their knees confessing their sins before God. They always start with this this recognition, Lord, I am not God. You are, though. Why don't you come and be God? Come and move. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.